0: Okay, what are people most looking forward to this Christmas? Anyone like to... Yes. Getting presents. Anyone else most looking forward to getting presents? Oh, you surprised me. There's only a few. Me too. Okay, anyone else, what are you most looking forward to this Christmas? Still chatting over there. Yes, Andrea. Seeing the family. Yeah, having a good time together. Yes you put your hand up as well. Seeing the family. Excellent. Wonderful. Yes. Time off of school. Yes. Was that time off of work? No. No alarm clock for 11 mornings. Excellent. Yes. Oh, your birthday, of course. Yes. Christmas birthdays. Yes. exciting a new experience wonderful yes you're looking forward to having Naomi at home for her first school holidays and Naomi's told you to say that wonderful yes Phoebe two great granddaughters babies coming to stay or you're going to see them You're going to see them wonderful. There are so many things to look forward to at Christmas, so many things that we enjoy and we get excited about. That's not something new, you know. Lots of people look forward to Christmas. And even before Christmas has even happened, in the Bible, people were looking forward to that time. Way back in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, it says this, "'Here now, you house of David,' Is it not enough to try the patience of human beings? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. God is with us. Way back before Jesus was born, people were looking forward to Christmas, to the birth of a saviour, to God being among them. We've lit two candles so far. We've talked about waiting. We've talked about preparing. And today we're going to think about expecting. Expectation. The excitement of what is to come at Christmas. Does someone want to help me light these?
1: Oh, yes, come up I've
0: got the light working. Oh, hold on. See? Never work with fire. Do people work with Children. Children and fire. No, no worries here then. So you just push that and hold it up. Can you do that? And light three of the white candles. One, two... Three! Oh, round of applause. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Well lit. Three candles lit. It means... That there's only two weeks to go. It was a lot longer when the people had the prophecies in the Bible, but they still waited and waited. We're gonna sing a wonderful Advent What do you call it? Is it a hymn or is it a carol? Oh come O come Emmanuel. We're gonna we're gonna stand and sing that together. And as we sing this, we're going to take up our offering as well this morning. So let's stand to sing together. Well, as I mentioned earlier, we've, during Advent, looked at waiting, people who waited for God. We looked at Anna, who waited outside the temple, waiting for the arrival of Jesus. And then last week, during our breakfast, we talked about preparation, how we prepare lots and lots of things, but often we forget to prepare ourselves, and that how the Bible calls us to look at our own lives and to get ourselves right before God. And today we're going to look at expectation, the expectations we have and the expectations that people had in the Bible. We're going to be looking at the book of Luke, and I'd like to invite John to come and do the reading this morning. The
1: readings from uh, Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. even as he said to our fathers.
0: Thank you, Dom. The other night I was reading Paddington Bear to James. I don't know whether you've read Paddington Bear. You've probably seen it, if not read it. Um, and it was one in a series of books so it was the first little instalment of Paddington Bear where Mr and Mrs Brown find Paddington Bear and name him Paddington because they're at Paddington Station for those of you who don't know and they end up taking Paddington home with them he's a little bit grubby, a little bit dirty and they have no idea who he is, where he's come from but he comes home with them he has a bath, which is a little bit of a disaster for all people involved, including the house but comes down all fluffy and looking lovely and all cuddly. And then he sits in a chair and they all sit around him and they lean forward and say, so Paddington, tell us all about yourself. And he begins by telling them little snippets of his story, where he's come from, what happened to his mother. And then he goes quiet and they all lean in ready for the next bit. And they wait, and they wait a bit longer. And then there's the gentle sound of snoring. And they realise that actually Paddington has fallen asleep, mid-story. And they're going to have to wait a long time for the next instalment. And you know, as I think about Christmas each year, and as I look at the Bible and think about the people of Israel, waiting for the arrival of Jesus I get this image in my mind of everyone gathered around Paddington if you like because you see the thing was that God had promised a sign in the book of Isaiah that we read it says the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel God had promised a sign he had told the people that he would come and dwell among them A son would be born, a saviour would come, the Messiah would arrive to bring new life. And so the people, the people of Israel had gathered round to find out what God had planned. They had leaned in to listen to him. And in all fairness, God had given them snippets of what was in store. He had sent prophets who began to talk about the Messiah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Micah. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely. Prophet after prophet after prophet began to tell the story of the arrival of the long-awaited Messiah. And things started to feel really close when the prophet Malachi declares, See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly... The Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant who you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. The people must have leaned forward with expectation, waiting for the next instalment of this wonderful story. But then, as they waited, it was as if God went to sleep. As if, like Paddington Bear, he was exhausted from all these preparations, and so fell asleep mid-story. Because following the prophecy of Malachi, the wonderful image of God suddenly arriving in his temple, there was silence. Deep, dark, unexplained silence. For 400 years, no one spoke. No one whispered. No one hinted. There was no prophet. There was no messenger, no angel, no celestial being. Just dead silence. Nothing. And, you know, surprisingly, given their history, the people of God didn't give up. They didn't walk away or turn their back. They didn't decide they'd had enough of waiting and look for something else. For the most part, they remained faithful throughout the years of silence. They continued to follow the rules. They continued to observe the festivals. They continued to obey the leaders. And they continued to expect God to come at some point in the future, at some time and place they were unsure of, but they didn't give up. But what did happen was their expectations began to change, and their view of God began to sort of morph, until by the time we get to the passage that John read earlier, most Jewish people, although still looking forward to a Messiah, we were looking forward to their own idea of what that Messiah might be. Most commonly, it would have been the image of a warrior, someone who was going to come and battle and be victorious, or a king, one who would rule and fight and defeat the enemy, a true leader who would lead them in war against those they despise. The Messiah for most people in the time of Mary would have been expected to be a victorious, most likely military leader, who would come and finally free them from all that held them captive, namely at that time Herod and the Roman army. You see, despite everything, however skewed, their expectation was still there. They still expected a Messiah. And so when Mary is visited by the angel Gabriel and told that she will carry the Son of God, that she will be the virgin who will give birth to Emmanuel, the expectation suddenly rises again. And she rushes to visit Elizabeth, who is carrying the messenger, the messenger who will prepare the way. And when they meet and they share this wonderful news, they celebrate together. The baby leaps in Elizabeth's womb, which is probably both a very uncomfortable and also a very reassuring sensation. One that conveys excitement. Because after all this time, these two pregnant women know that God's plan is still on. That God has not fallen asleep as many people might have thought, that he's not become exhausted, he's not dropped the ball, but instead he is firmly in control and finally he's coming to dwell among them. And so Mary rejoices and she rejoices by singing, by singing a wonderful song of celebration and worship, one which has become famous all over the world, one which we now know as the Magnificat. And what's amazing about this song is that it shows that just like her Jewish contemporaries, Mary too has been waiting, waiting for the Messiah. That she too has remained expectant, even through the years of silence, she's been looking towards this time. But what's even more amazing is that unlike her contemporaries, unlike those around her, Mary's expectations have remained true to God. She, like everyone else, knows the prophecies. She, like everyone else, has not given up waiting. But she, unlike everyone else, has kept her expectations grounded. She's looking forward to a God who will defeat evil. She's looking forward to a God who will bring freedom. She's looking forward to a God who will lead his people. But as her song shows, She's not looking forward to a warrior who she's made up in her mind. She's looking forward to a God who she knows and who she loves. To the one who will scatter the proud, who will lift up the humble, who will fill the hungry, who will be merciful and keep his promises. This is what Mary is looking forward to. Not a military leader who will sweepingly defeat everyone in his path. But to the God she knows, to the God she has always known. The one who reaches down into the muck and the mire. And brings to life that which everyone else thought was dead. This is the God Mary is expecting. This is her long-awaited dream. You know, after Simon and I got married, we went on honeymoon, which is fairly common, although not everyone does it, and Simon had booked this trip, and he'd not told me where we were going, and he said, oh, you're going to really like it, and then when we were in the hotel before we went on the plane, he said, we're going to Cyprus, and I went, oh, actually, that's very exciting, I've never been to Cyprus, he said, yes, I know, that's why I booked it, and I quite like the idea of Cyprus, because not only was it supposed to be very, very hot, which it wasn't, but anyway, let's gloss over that and not only is it supposed to be very very lovely which it was it has a lot of history and a lot of biblical history not that you know I was wanting to do all that on the honeymoon but I thought it'd be interesting to go and see some of these things which I've read about in the bible And one of the things that was highlighted that I'd read about was that there's this pillar where Paul was flogged. It's a bit of a weird thing to go and see, isn't it, on your honeymoon? But I thought it'd be great. We could go and we could see this historical place. And in my mind, I had this image of, you know, wandering across the barren land and, you know, trekking out to a really isolated, lonely spot where there was this pillar. You could go up and you could feel the marks in it, and you know it'd be amazing. Well, turns out that actually it's not like that at all. That you go down into town, at the time it was Woolworths, or it's probably not that now. You go into Woolworths, you buy your Tupperware, and then you go out the back of Woolworths. There's the pillar where Paul was flocked right next to the back door of Woolworths. And I was like, gutted is a is a word I would describe. I was like, oh, okay get me lunch and I'll go and sit by the pillar where Paul was flogged. It wasn't what I'd expected. You know, it was different. And it wasn't like this because it had been moved or it had been changed. You know, it would always been there. That's where the pillar had been. This is how it had been for years. It was simply that my expectations were wrong. You know, I'd imagined in my head something that wasn't real. I could have read up about where the pillar was, what it looked like. I could have looked at pictures of where it was. But instead, I chose to expect something of my own making, some romanticised view of something. And I was wrong. And you know, the amazing thing about Mary was that she didn't do this. She didn't, like everyone else around her, take notions of the Messiah, things that she had heard long ago, and then make up a whole image and story in her mind of what she wanted, expecting something that was not reality. Instead, she kept searching the scriptures, seeking more of God, checking her life was in line with what he wanted. We know this because almost every line of that wonderful song is a quote from the scriptures that she would have heard and learnt. Not a notion she would have remembered from something she heard long ago, but the picture of a God who was very real to her and very true. You see, Mary didn't expect a God of her own making because she was a woman who, longed, longing for God, kept her close to him. And so she sort of had a kind of inkling of what to expect. And, you know, it strikes me as I read this and as we seek to live our lives for God today that just like the people of Israel, there's a danger for us that instead of sticking close to God, instead of continuing to search out his ways and his character, as Mary did, we too become people who create our own image of God. Maybe it's an image based on things we learnt long ago. You know, truths we were told in Sunday school or when we really had time to read our Bible. And so we stick with that. Or maybe it's an image we've become comfortable with. An image of God that fits our life, that fits what we want. What's comforting and satisfying for us. And so we stick with that creating, if you like, our own Messiah to meet our own needs until we start to expect God to be who we created him to be instead of giving him room to be who he really is, as Mary did. And the problem with this, of course, is that when we have expectations of God that are not real, we find that our lives become less like his. You know, our eyes miss what his eyes would have seen. Or our actions show more of what we desire than what God wants. Our prayers become less confident and personal. We live to our expectations, if you like, just like the people of Israel did. When actually, God desires us to live for him. Whatever that might mean for our own lives and our own desires. He desires that we keep coming back and searching for what the reality of him is. And that we keep allowing him to be who he really is in our lives. You know, I think Mary was a wonderful woman. We often play her down outside the Catholic Church, because I think, you know, we're a bit fearful we might blaspheme in some way or something. But in her time, in a world that was dominated by men... It's not her weaknesses or her mistakes that bring her to mind. It's her faith and her expectation of the God that she loved. Maybe that's why God was mindful of the humble state of his servant and chose her above anyone else in the world to carry the light of the world. We're going to spend a little bit of time as we have done this Advent just in quiet thinking maybe about how we live our lives before God. Whether we expect a God of our own design. Whether we've created a Messiah in our minds to fit our needs. Whether we really give God the power that he has to work in our lives in the way that he wants. I'm going to listen to a short bit of music as we sit in quiet and then just let that silence carry on for a bit before we pray and Mary said I'm bursting with good news I'm dancing the song of my saviour God God took one good look at me and look what happened I'm the most fortunate woman on earth. What God has done for me will never be forgotten. The God whose very name is holy set apart from all others. His mercy flows in wave after wave on those who are in awe before him. He bared his arm and showed his strength, scattering the bluffing braggarts. He knocked tyrants off their high horses pulled victims out of the mud. The starving poor sat down to a banquet. The callous rich were left out in the cold. He embraced his chosen child, Israel. He remembered and piled on the mercies, piled them high. It's exactly what he promised, beginning with Abraham and right up to now. So as we continue through Advent, may we know God close to us. May we expect the coming of a Saviour. And may God surround us and care for us and walk with us. Amen. Please be seated.